0: Amen. Thank you, Brennan. Thank you, team, for leading us this morning. Uh, Good morning, everyone. Good morning. Good to see all of you. Welcome here. Welcome to the gathering of Seven Oaks Church. Um, If you're visiting uh, with us today, a special welcome to you, and hello as well to our online community. Uh, I'm Jamie, one of the pastors uh, here at the church, and um, it's my job uh, this morning to unpack the Scriptures, which is one of the things that we do when we gather. Our gathered life includes centering ourselves around the Word of God that we believe to be uh, everything for us. So um, looking forward to doing that in a moment. We're in the book of Hebrews. We're going to be diving in uh, to another fantastic passage in a few minutes. Uh, before we get there, I've got a couple of things uh, for you. Uh, once a year, and I only do this once a year, uh, but once a year I, I need to talk a little bit about uh, our financials. And so if you are visiting today, I'm so sorry that we're doing housekeeping at this point, uh, but it's necessary. And it's actually part of our worship anyway. When we give, it's part of our worship. So just want to bring you up to, up to speed on where we are as we enter the last two months. Um, we're sitting in a deficit. If you, if you got the newsletter, you would have seen that. We're sitting in a deficit of about $81,000 to our our budget. So it's about where we are usually this time of year. I think it's a little bit less actually than than last year. Uh, So that's where we're at. But if you remember, we were carrying some debt from last year, about 100,000 of debt. Uh, from last year as well, so it's it's a bit of a it's a bit of a climb for us. But uh, uh, I know things are, are difficult. Everybody's experiencing a higher cost of living and that kind of thing, uh, so we get it. But I just wanted to let you know uh, where we are at and where we need to try to get to. Uh, and so for all of us to just be prayerful about that um, and ask the Lord where we might be able to. Uh, to pitch in and, and help. So, uh, so that's where we're at. And the second thing I wanted to say, and this is just a little bit of a, a, a pastoral thing to all of you, because I don't want any of you feeling silly. Uh, but just a reminder, and I'm sure none of you would have f- forgotten this, but just in case, uh, next week, uh, the clocks go back. And that's the good one. That's, that's the good one, because we get an extra hour in bed. But around, uh, I think it's around 2 a.m. next Sunday morning, the clocks go back, and you wouldn't want to show up for the wrong time at church, because that's just embarrassing. So, uh, so this is my pastoral reminder to all of you. All right. Uh, this summer, as uh, most of you know, I spent uh, many days hiking in the wilderness of Oregon um, along the Pacific Crest Trail. So that is, is not anywhere near the coast. It's right in the middle, uh, sort of the spine of, of, the, um, of the, uh, the state, I nearly said province of the state. Um, and uh, the Pacific Crest Trail runs right up the C- Sierra Nevadas through California up into the Cascades. Uh, so it's high, it's high ground. And uh, I was doing that as part of my sabbatical. And as you reach um, sort of north central Oregon, what happens is the, the beautiful sort of alpine meadows and the, um, you've come out of some old growth forests and also the high desert gives way to lava fields. And it's quite a stark change in, in what you are seeing. And so you have miles and miles of this kind of sharp black lava rock and, and pumice and dark gray sand, and since it was August, the sun was just beating down on me, and, and of course, it's, you know, it's reflecting off of the black rock back at me, so it's kinda hot, and you're, you're going up these uh, big steep uh, inclines, carrying about 30 pounds on, on my back, and sucking in slightly less oxygenated air because I'm at a higher uh, elevation, so uh, it, it was tough at times, and sometimes when you're on one of those climbs, you kinda come around a corner and you really hope that you get into the top of the, that particular climb, and it's going to kind of start to level out. But sometimes what happens is you just kind of turn the corner and you see, oh, no, I've got some way still to go here. It still snakes its way upward. But eventually, you reach the top of a particular climb. And when you're in the old-growth forest, what happens is when you reach a particular climb, it doesn't necessarily mean you're going to get a wonderful view because you might still be under the tree canopy, right? But when you're in exposed terrain like that, there's always a chance that what's gonna happen is you're gonna to come to this beautiful panoramic view. And that's what you can see in the third uh, picture over there. That's a particular plateau that I reached, and you can see these mountains that are ahead that I'm heading uh, towards, and it's this kind of beautiful uh, view. And that's exactly, uh, and sorry, so I was gonna say, if, if I had binoculars, if I was carrying binoculars at that point, one of the things I might be able to do is look ahead and see how the terrain is the same or how it's going to change, if there's any cliff edges that I'm going to come up to or a river crossing or those kind of things. I can kind of see what's coming up. But also, if there was a bunch of people ahead of me, I might even see other hikers. And what might happen is that if I know there's a particularly difficult part coming up, I might be able to see that, oh, they made it, and that gives me encouragement that I too might make it. Or maybe I'll even get to see them traversing a certain part of it and think, okay, I'm encouraged that it's possible and that kind of thing. And so um, that is exactly where we've reached in the book of Hebrews. The letter has reached a plateau, and the view is panoramic. We've been climbing some pretty heavy climbs, where the author of Hebrews has been talking about uh, warnings. He's been warning them about not falling back from the faith. We've ambled our way through certain sort of nice meadows where we've looked at this picture of Jesus as the fulfillment of this or this or this, how Jesus is better than this and how he's the fulfillment of all their hopes and, and, and so on. And now what's happened is we've reached this beautiful plateau where we can see ahead and finally the people who are reading this letter can see those who have gone before them and that what waits for them is a grand, grand welcome. If you haven't yet guessed, I am in chapter 11 of Hebrews today, a famous, famous chapter of the New Testament. It's the faith chapter. And so the Jewish background believers in Rome have been listening to chapter after chapter that has spoken into their situation, that has presented Jesus as a fulfillment of everything. And now they're being told and encouraged to place their faith there. And to encourage them, they've been presented with wonderful examples of the faith, heroes of the faith who have gone before them, who are further up the trail, and in whose footsteps they can follow as they face their own daily struggles and challenges. So uh, we're going to jump into chapter 11 here. Uh, It's a long chapter. I'm actually going to read 22 verses, so we're going to read a a fair chunk of it, not the entire thing, uh, but it's a little bit easier reading than some of the other chapters we've been uh, going through because it's a lot of stories. So uh, if you'd like to follow along in your own Bible, uh, open to chapter 11. Otherwise, you can follow the screen uh, and, and listen to me. Now, faith is the assurance of things hoped for, the conviction of things not seen. Indeed by faith our ancestors received approval by faith we understand that the words were prepared by the word of god so that what is seen was made from things that are not visible by faith abel offered a god, uh, offered to god a more acceptable sacrifice than cain's through this he received approval as righteous god himself giving approval to his gifts he died but through his faith he still speaks "'By faith Enoch was taken so that he did not experience death, "'and,' in quotes, "'he was not found because God had taken him. "'For it was attested before he was taken away that he had pleased God. "'And without faith it's impossible to please God, "'for whoever would approach him must believe that he exists "'and that he rewards those who earnestly seek him. "'By faith Noah, warned by God about events as yet unseen,' respected the warning and built an ark to save his household. By this, he condemned the world and became an heir to the righteousness that is in accordance with faith. These are the heroes of the faith that that we're looking up ahead of us on the trail to, to encourage us. Verse eight, by faith, Abraham obeyed when he was called to set out for a place that he was to receive as an inheritance. And he set out not knowing where he was going. By faith, he stayed for a time in the land he had been promised, as in a foreign land, living in tents, as did Isaac and Jacob, who were heirs uh, with him of the same promise. For he looked forward to the city that has its foundations, whose architect and builder is God. By faith, he received the power of procreation, even though he was too old and Sarah herself was barren, because he considered him faithful who had promised Therefore, from one person, and this one as good as dead, descendants were born, as many as the stars of heaven and as innumerable grains of sand by the seashore. All of these died in faith without having received the promises, but from a distance they saw and greeted them. They confessed that they were strangers and foreigners on earth, for people who speak in this way make it clear that they are seeking a homeland. If they'd been thinking of the land that they had left behind, they would have had opportunity to return but as it is, they desire a better country. That is a heavenly one. Therefore, God is not ashamed to be called their God. Indeed, he has prepared a city for them. By faith, Abraham, when he was put to the test, offered up Isaac. He who'd received the promises was ready to offer his only son, of whom he had been told, it is through Isaac that descendants shall be named after you. He considered the fact that God is able to even raise someone from the dead. And figuratively speaking, he did receive him back. By faith, Isaac invoked blessings for the future on Jacob and Esau. By faith, Jacob, when dying, blessed each of the sons of Joseph, bowing in worship over the top of his staff. By faith, Joseph, at the end of his life, made mention of the exodus of the Israelites and gave instructions about his burial. God's word to us today. I could have read on, and I encourage you to read the rest at home. Uh, There are many, many more people that are mentioned by faith, by faith, by faith, by faith. It's a wonderful, wonderful story and very different to everything that we've read so far in Hebrews. And that's why I was trying to help us to understand. We've we've been grueling on this grueling kind of hike, and then finally we've reached a plateau, and it's like, look, and all those have gone before you. Be encouraged. There is a story that gets told on one side of my wife's family about how they arrived in Canada. Now, uh, many of you know, Renee is my wife and uh, Lauren is my sister-in-law, she's in CM today. Uh, Lauren is uh, Renee's sister. And so Renee and Lauren's great grandfather and great grandmother uh, traveled from England to Canada many, many years ago because of a sense, I believe the grandfather had, of calling to hear. Uh, When they arrived, uh, let's just say that great-grandmother wasn't as enamored with the new world as uh, maybe grandfather had hoped uh, that she would be. And she kind of demanded that they return uh, to England because she wanted to go back to the comforts because, of course, it was a harder land back in those days. So they took the boat all the way back to England. But not too long afterwards, they got on that boat again and traveled back to Canada because of a call that persisted that they needed to be here. So they made the arduous boat journey three times. And uh, when they finally got here for the second time, they still didn't really know what they were supposed to be doing. And they were uh, somewhere east of here. They were wherever the boats landed, I don't know. Uh, but they were somewhere that, in, in that direction. And, uh, and they were trying to figure out what to do. And, and they started to pray. And all of a sudden, they received a word of knowledge, one word. And the word was a word that they'd never heard before. And the word was... Nanaimo. And they didn't know what that meant. They assumed maybe that it's a place. And so they stretched out a map before them and started to search to see if they could find a place called Nanaimo. And sure enough, they did. And they found that it was on the far west side of the country. In fact, it was on an island called Vancouver Island. And so they began the arduous journey west. And I imagine it took them a long time. They finally reached the Pacific Ocean. And they got on another boat and came over to Vancouver Island uh, where they landed. And it was there that they planted a church and served God there and had children and grandchildren and so on. And any of you that know my uh, wife and Lauren's story know that they grew up on Vancouver Island. The reason I tell you that story is because from the first day I ever heard it, it reminded me of the Abraham story. It was a story of faith. And the author brings it up here in Hebrews 11, and we just read it a moment ago. So before we get to Abraham, however, I want to start where the chapter begins, and it begins with a description of faith. And it says this, now faith is the assurance of things hoped for, being absolutely sure of the things that you're hoping for, and the conviction, absolute conviction of things that we cannot see. That's how it describes faith. Now, in our world, uh, faith is often described in in different ways to that. It's often little more than wishful thinking. People say, "Well, you just got to have faith that it's going to work out." You know, I'll you know I'll send out some positive vibes into the universe for you. You know, I'll send you my thoughts, whatever those two things mean. Uh, but people say them. And I think they're genuine, like what they're trying to do is, is sort of get behind you, uh, but what it, what it really is, is just kind of like a, a, a wishful kind of bizarre, I'm behind you kind of quasi-optimism. Another way that faith is used is to describe a set of beliefs. So we talk about the Christian faith or the Muslim faith. But faith as described in, in chapter 11 of Hebrews is nothing like either of those things. It's not like them at all. Faith, actually, according to Hebrews, is something that can be expressed by humans that actually pleases God. It actually makes him happy. He gives approval to it, and we read that. It is often linked with hope, and we're going to see that in a couple of minutes. But it's also linked with obedience. We'll see how the heroes of faith obeyed certain things because they had faith. They didn't just go and do really weird and difficult and uncomfortable things just because, you know, they felt like it. They did it because they had a faith that it was the thing they were supposed to do. So it's connected to obedience, and it's connected to endurance. People can sometimes endure great things because of their faith. And that's the crux of Hebrews. Hebrews is all about, we know the context, don't we? We've been talking about it a lot. We know the context. Jewish background believers living in Rome under persecution, the authors writing to them to encourage them, you mustn't fall away from your faith. Remember, Jesus is so much better than you going back to the synagogue, you going back here, or to paganism. You must endure because of who Jesus is. And so endurance is central to the call of Hebrews. So God-honoring faith, if you're somebody that likes to make notes and write things down, I encourage you to write this down. God-honoring faith takes God at his word and lives expectantly and obediently in the present, waiting for him to fulfill his promises. God-honoring faith takes God at his word and lives expectantly and obediently in the present, waiting for him to fulfill his promises. I said it was linked to hope. Let's look at that for a minute. Faith is looking at God and trusting him for everything. Hope is looking to the future and trusting God for it. If faith is looking to God and trusting him for everything, hope is looking to the future and trusting God for it. That's how they are linked. And in Hebrews 11, faith and hope are like inextricably linked together. So it's one thing to have hope, but when we connect it to our faith, we actually can have assurance, So you and I sitting in this room, we may have a whole bunch of hope about the future. We might hope that one day justice is going to reign. One day Jesus is going to return. One day he's going to put the world to rights. One day there's going to be a new heaven and a new earth that's going to be forged. One day we're going to be bodily resurrected to participate in that imperfect peace with God. We may believe all that stuff and have hope for it, but unless we actually have faith and belief that God raised Jesus from the dead. In other words, unless we have a sure faith in God and his activity on our behalf, then it just remains optimistic. It's just optimism. It's whimsical optimism. Faith and hope have to be inextricably linked. We hope for the future, but it's undergirded with an assurance because of our faith and our settled belief. David Benner in his book, Opening to God, says that openness to to God or openness to God is living with unqualified trust in God. And then he says this, this is the essence of faith. Unqualified trust is the essence of faith. Faith simply cannot be reduced to beliefs. If yours can, your faith is seriously underdeveloped. It's not that belief isn't important. What we believe is incredibly important. But if if our faith is only based on what we give mental assent to, then our faith is underdeveloped. He he says, instead, he says, genuine faith is more a posture of the heart than it is of the mind. Faith Faith in God is leaning with confidence into God. It is living with unqualified trust in the faithfulness of God. So faith linked with hope is all about the settled conviction and assurance in God that things, about things that we cannot see, and it requires obedience at certain times. Sometimes we have to act on it, and also it, it helps us, it can prop us up to endure all kinds of things. And that kind of faith is pleasing to God. People gain approval because of that kind of faith. Jesus uh, said things about faith in the New Testament a number of times. One time There was a woman who'd been bleeding for 12 years and she reached out to touch the the, the cloak of his garment and he turns around and and he says, your faith has made you well, Go, go go in peace, daughter. He says, your faith has made you well. There's a couple of places actually in the New Testament where Jesus is said to be amazed. And the two times I can think of are both related to faith. One is good and one is bad. When he goes to his hometown of Nazareth, it says he was amazed at their lack of faith. And actually says he couldn't do miracles in Nazareth, except he just laid hands on a few people who were sick. He was amazed at their lack of faith. Another time he's amazed is he's amazed at the faith of the centurion, a Roman centurion, a pagan. He can't believe he's amazed at this person's faith. And it actually turns out to be a bit of a a rebuke to the religious people because he says, I've not even seen such faith in all of Israel, he says to this pagan Roman. So faith can amaze It pleases God and can amaze him in both a good and a bad way. So let's take a look at Abraham for a minute. I chose Abraham because he's mentioned more than once here in this passage, but also because although we've read about many heroes of the faith, we can't look at all of their stories today. But Abraham is always held up as this shining example of faith. So starting in verse 8 again, I'm just going to read this really briefly. By faith, Abraham obeyed when he was called to set out for a place that he was to receive as an inheritance, and he set out not knowing where he was going. And by faith, he stayed there for a time in the land he'd been promised, in a foreign land living in tents, and so on it goes. You see how Abraham's faith is immediately connected to obedience. It's immediately connected to obedience. The motivation for the obedience was the hope of obtaining a promised land. Remember, hope is about the future and trusting God for it. And the hope and the obedience were rooted in faith. It begins by saying, by faith. That's how we could obey. That's how we could hope. By faith, living expectantly in the present. So Abraham didn't demonstrate his faith to everybody by by expressing a bunch of things he believed. By signing up to a doctrinal statement. By believing in a set of propositions. As important as that stuff is, what we believe is terribly important. What we give mental assent to is terribly important. But that wasn't how he demonstrated his faith. The way he demonstrated it was, was to have enough trust to leave his hometown, which was one of the greatest cities of the ancient world. It was on the top end of Mesopotamia, the cradle of civilization. And to walk into the wilderness, to walk into the desert, to go to a place he didn't even know yet where he was going. That was how he demonstrated his faith. And that's how he got approval. That's why I told the story earlier about the journey to Nanaimo, because I think it's a story of faith. They moved because they sensed God was calling them, and then they moved across the country to this place because of one word. That's hard. It's tough to do that. It takes courage to live with that kind of openness and trust. For all of us, life it is a journey where we're often invited, like Abraham, to leave the familiar place, places of comfort and safety that we're in, perhaps without details of where we're going or what will be required of us. And it isn't always a physical journey, like in our two examples. It's almost anything in your life where you have to express faith. To leave the place that is familiar, it's inviting us to lift our foot from what's familiar and step into the unknown, believing that God is there with us and for us. And when we do it, it pleases him. The second part of the Abraham story then is about the promise of descendants. First of all, it's about leaving your, your home. The second time, it's the promise of descendants. And, and I don't know if you know this story, but I'm sure many of you do. God makes this outlandish promise that out of Abraham and Sarah are going to become so many descendants that they wouldn't even be able to count them. And and Ab- Abraham and Sarah are old people at this point, not the type of people that usually have children. And in fact, even more so than that, Sarah is barren. She wasn't able to conceive. She wasn't able to have children. And God makes this outlandish promise to them. And he he says to them, you know, go to the beach. Try and count the grains of sand if you can. Or or go out on a clear night and look up into the sky. See if you can count the stars. That's how many descendants are going to come from you guys. And and to Abraham's credit, he he expresses faith. He believed. He believed. I'm not sure I would be able to believe that. But Abraham and Sarah did have their doubts at certain times. You read that through the story. They're human. They doubted and struggled with unbelief like the rest of us do. But ultimately, they had faith. And that's what Hebrews speaks to, the settled belief that Abraham did have, the faith he expressed. And so what God does in the womb of Sarah is a creative act. Christian theology When we think about creation, Christian theology um, says that uh, God created the world out of nothing. He didn't just take a bunch of pre-existing materials and just kind of shape it. He actually created out of nothing, out of nothingness, and by his word is how he created. And so here we have a creative act just like that in the womb of Sarah from where the covenant people would come, from whom the Messiah would come. Out of the nothingness of Sarah's womb, God created the beginnings of a people. He performed a miracle. And a miracle is something that moves beyond our normal possibilities and boundaries. Only God. So a question for all of us this morning, are what are the normal boundaries and possibilities that limit you? What are the things in your life that you would like to see change, but you don't have the faith for it? The Bible says that you only need mustard-sized faith to move a mountain. The, The point of that is to say, we need to muster up what faith we can, and God will meet us there and do the rest. God takes over. We already read the ancestors of faith received approval based on their faith. They please God. We already talked about Jesus being amazed by faith and lack of faith. When his disciples failed on the mission, he came down and he said, you faithless generation, what's wrong with you? And what would he say to us? See, the kingdom is never built on slick and sharp ministry activities. The kingdom is built when people will humble themselves and pray. And live with dependence on God and step out in faith and trust Him and move out from what's comfortable, expecting that God will do what He will do. The third part of the Abraham story mentioned here is about the requirement of sacrifice. And and this part of Abraham's story is incredible. Having left his home, and having been given a child of promise, Isaac, despite the fact that his wife was barren and and they were old of age, God then tells him, I want you to sacrifice that child. And we would say, yeah, but surely Abraham knew that God didn't really require that. Surely Abraham knew that, that God didn't, you know, condone human sacrifice or require human sacrifice. I mean, the Ten Commandments says thou shalt not kill, except there was no Ten Commandments yet. There was no priesthood. There was no sacrificial system. There was no religion of ancient Israel yet. Ancient Israel didn't exist yet. This was just God and Abraham. God intervening in Abraham's life, a pagan. And human sacrifice happens in many, many religions. Many pagan religions was happening. So why would Abraham think that this God was any different? We don't know what he thought. But I don't think we're supposed to think that Abraham just thought, ah, you know, God's gonna come through. I think this was a tough, tough, tough test for Abraham. And the passage says that he considered the fact that God was even, even able to raise someone from the dead. <laughs> it's got all of that foreshadowing of the Jesus story. If you know that story, of course, uh, God stops him and then provides a ram or a lamb. And of course, that also has profound foreshadowing of the cross and the Lamb of God and, and, and something in place of you know, humans being uh, you know, sacrificed or being killed or whatever. The point is that Abraham, through these three ways, being told to leave his home, being told that he would be given descendants and then tested in the most difficult way, expressed great faith. Abraham looked to God and trusted him for everything, and he looked to the future and trusted God for it. And so he's the shining example of faith for those first century Christians, Jewish background Christians who were living in Rome, who received this letter from the East, and it was read out loud in a worship service, and they're listening to it. This was the shining example of faith that the author has finally got to, having encouraged you in all these ways, now look forward and see what's gone before you and be encouraged by them, that you too can endure this persecution by Rome. You can do it as they face their own wilderness journey. And so Abraham is a shining example of faith for you and me as well, isn't he? Scholar George Guthrie poses this question. How would you and I live today if we absolutely believed that God existed and that he loved us infinitely and he had a destination for us that was perfect in every way And that God was aware of everything about us, and he was just waiting to reward our faith generously and say something to us like, you know, well done, good and faithful servant. How would we live if we believed all that stuff? And we'd probably stop and say, what do you mean? We do believe that. Why are you asking that question? We all believe that. Okay, so then he changes the question. How would you then live differently if you did not believe any of that? And would there be any difference? Ouch would there be any difference? That's a haunting question, isn't it? If all I am and all I have and all I do differs very little from my unbelieving neighbor, then I've embraced this world and its values and perhaps fool myself by saying that I live for another world and another kingdom. What does it look like to live by faith? The invitation to live by faith and be spurred on by the heroes of the faith, both biblical ones but also church history ones and people who are alive today that encourage you and and are examples to you, is, is a call for all of us. Faith is being assured of the things we hope for. It's having a conviction about things we can't see. It's a settled belief and confidence that God exists and that he's good on his promises. And the hope we have is as sure as our next breath. Living with that kind of faith can help us to obey when God calls us to, and helps us to live out our scripture and theology, the journey from the head to the heart, and helps us to endure tough things when they come. Sometimes we suffer so greatly that faith is the only thing we have to keep us alive and to keep us from destruction. So I have a question for you, and it leads to a bunch of other questions as we close out. My question for you today is, what is the Holy Spirit saying to you right now, today? What is the Holy Spirit kind of leaning on? What's he, what's he poking at in you? What place of comfort and familiarity is the Spirit asking you to step out from? Where do you need to simply obey? What area of your life are you racked with fear about? Is God asking you to start to take some steps out from underneath that fear and replace it with faith and trust and hope, believing that God is good and he's with you? What do you have to endure today? Where is your suffering? Are you reaching out for the Father's hand to walk you through it? He doesn't promise that he'll take away whatever is causing your suffering, but he promises to be with you. Do you need the community of God's people as journey partners with you? Do we need to develop more groups in this church, more community groups, more gospel communities, or triads or something like that for us to journey more intentionally with each other? Is that what we need? My sort of sense would be, I think it is what we need. Where are you too timid and need to start living with more boldness. Some questions for us all to consider. Amen. Brennan and team, let's uh, sing together again.